Welcome to Core 242 Podcast, brought to you by Core Community Covenant Church. Now let's dive into the Word of God with Pastor Max and Pastor Trish. So, we've been going through the armor of God and we're at the end. And again, we talked about earlier that, actually last week we talked about that, when Paul is talking about the armor of God, it's not something new that he... Uh, that he thought of because there was a armed Roman s- sitting next to him. This is something that he has learned, he has read, he, somebody has taught him as he was raised up about what the Isaiah prophesied about and spoke about who God is and everything else. Uh, we looked at in Isaiah 59, starting at 16, again, I want to read this one. He saw that there was no one, he was a Paul. He was appalled that there was no one intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. So again, we're, we're looking at what God had to do to get this relationship back. He said he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garment of vengeance. And wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So this is where we're getting this this uh, teaching about the cloak of vengeance. It's something different. It's not in Ephesians because it's not ours to put on. So we, we need to look at that and understand that this is where uh, where we need to under, we need to see that uh, Romans twelve nineteen talks about it, yeah. right? If you would like to repeat, read it. Yeah, I have it. It says, Romans twelve nineteen. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Yeah, and then we look at Nahum. Say it right now, Nahum. This is definitely not one of those books that you hear too many times. And a lot of times as I read through the Bible, I'm always like, that's a book? But Nahum talks about it again in, in Nahum uh, chapter 1, verse 2. It says, The Lord is jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and mountains and, and maintains his wrath against his enemies. And once again in verse 6, he says, Who can withstand this indignation? Who can endure this, his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. This is the Lord. What does this look like? What does this look like? Well, the, one, the best thing that we can see how this vengeance is going to look like is in Revelation, that second coming of Christ. In Revelation chapter 19, we're seeing this, 1911, and we're going to read a lot of scripture because I feel like it's very important on this topic to hear what scripture has to say. Revelation 11, it says, I saw heaven standing up, I, John, Apostle John, I saw heaven standing up, and there before me was a white horse whose, road, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And to me, like, when, when I read that and when we're looking at this robe of vengeance, I feel like a bloody robe is, is kind of a reminder and a visual of what, what is and what's to come. And his name is the word of God. Wow. The armies of heaven were following him, 
riding on the white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nation. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name, written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in loud voice to all the birds flying in the midair, come gather together for great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beasts and the kings of wrath and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider and the horse of his army. This is the wrath of God. He's going against this world, the evil world, those who are defying the God Almighty. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophets who had performed the miracle signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. It's those who totally turn away. It's what we talked about in Deuteronomy. Totally turn away, prostituting themselves to the gods of this world. The two of them were thrown alive into the fire lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with a sword that came out of the mouth of the riders on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on the flesh. That is the wrath of God. That is one of the wrath of God. That's when we're talking about the vengeance is his. This is what's coming. This is something that we should be prepared and prepare others. And that is part of what we need to understand. And we're going to talk about how we can do that later on. But as we stand firm in our faith. And there's all these wars happening, spiritual wars that we don't even see. We need to also understand that that wrath is coming. You know, it's one of those things where you're, you're pinned down by the enemy. Because sometimes right now in the, in the Christian life, we look like there's attacks all over the place on our faith and on, on, on our beliefs and our values. And God says, you don't need to go attack. Mm. He says, stand firm. Mm-hmm. But the good thing is to know that the Calvary is coming. Calvary. What did I say? Calvary. They sound similar, but... Very similar. Very different. Calvary did come. Amen. Well... (laughs) (laughs) The horsemen are coming. Calvary. With with the main main general... (laughs) You know, they're coming. And it's, it's a great... It's something... It helps us to stand firm. When we know that there is hope, that as the enemies are approaching and we're standing firm and the arrows are are shooting at us because they're so far away from us. But as they're going to get closer, we know that the help is coming. This, this judgment is coming. The second coming is coming. The Lord is coming. And He's coming soon. So we need to just stand firm. Amen? And He will avenge. The, the scriptures are very clear. You know, we talk a lot, especially now in, in the church, we talk about you know, the lamb, and we talk about God's grace, and we talk about God's love. We don't talk a whole lot about the coming wrath. Even when we talk about mm. salvation, we talk about the judgment when we stand before the, the judgment seat of Christ, and, we, and there's a decision about our eternal destiny. But we don't talk a whole lot about the day of the Lord. But the day of the Lord is a theme throughout Scripture. The day of the Lord, uh, the day of Christ's second coming, is a day of vengeance, it's a day of wrath, it's a day of, of reconciling where the Lord, He is holy. And so we need to understand, though, that his wrath is not reactive. It's not impulsive. It's not that God is, it's not even God's nature. Wrath is not part of God's nature. God is a God of love, of grace, and of mercy. 
but God's wrath is provoked. And I want to read a couple of scriptures to just explain. So Micah 5.15 says, I will take vengeance in anger and wrath upon the nations that have not obeyed me. So we have to just take into mind, God is not, his nature is not one of wrath, but he has patiently put up with the disobedience and the, as we were talking about earlier, that we've prostituted ourselves with idols and with other gods and other religions. And, and God has tolerated this, even though we're his creation and we were designed to worship him, that we have gone astray and we've sought after our own way. So he takes vengeance in anger and wrath upon the nations that have not obeyed him. That's Micah 5.15. And then Ezekiel 7 verse 8 says, I am about to pour out my wrath on you and send my anger against you. I will judge you according to your conduct and repay you for all your detestable practices. And so again, we just see that God is doing this in response to the blatant disregard that we have spit upon God's grace. We've rejected his salvation. We've rejected his word. We've rejected his, his plan for reconciling to make peace remember we're we're under we're already under the condemnation we're already under god's wrath and christ's coming and his death and resurrection offered a way for us to make peace with god but if we reject that peace offering there's nothing left for our sins except for the coming wrath of god this is the whole testimony of scripture and very often we don't teach all of that we just we like to talk about god's love we like to talk about god's mercy which thank god we do stand now in under his grace and mercy, but that door will eventually close and there will be nothing left but the holiness and the wrath of God, because God is also, his nature is one of justice and righteousness. And so he will not tolerate evil forever. He tolerates evil right now because he give, he's, he's giving us an opportunity to repent. He's giving us an opportunity for grace, but eventually that window runs out and we, and he will come with this um this as we were talking about this cloak of vengeance and i want to go back to isaiah 59 um the verse right before what we read it says the lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice this is isaiah 59:15 so the lord puts on this cloak of vengeance he puts on this armor because he was displeased that there was no justice he looks at the earth and he sees human trafficking, he sees mm. war, he sees oppression, he sees slavery, he sees all of these things um, that are happening on the earth, on his creation, how we're destroying his creation, and we're, we're using uh, the riches of this, of this world for our own greed and our own benefit, and he sees that there is no justice on the earth, and so he takes up, it says in verse 17, he puts on the garment of vengeance and wraps himself in zeal as a cloak. And the word there for garment is covering. And so it's almost repetitive. That's why we're calling this the cloak of vengeance because it's a covering um, that he puts over himself. So it's, again, not part of God's nature, but it's something that he puts on in order to make things right because his creation has been turned upside down by sin and by evil and by injustice. And he, as a God who is holy and righteous, can't stand forever and wait for us to repent. He has to come and he has to act and he has to yield salvation and justice with his own upright hand. Yeah, and sadly, this this wrath is coming be, not to those people who are never heard of this. Romans chapter 1, it talks a lot about it. I'm just going to jump around in the verses. 
because the whole um, chapter talks about the the least uh, the last part of the chapter one is in the 18 it starts the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of the men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since they be, may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them for since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood for what has been made so that men are without excuses. They're being judged about God's, who God is because God's been very plain to them. And they reject it and they keep looking at something else. It's, and then it says, although they claim to be wise, they become fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men, birds, animals, and reptiles. We know who God is and we know what God has to offer and we look at other things of this world and we worship the other things of this world instead of worshiping. It's that whole thing, worshiping the creation instead of the creator. And, and that is the, the thing that is bringing more wrath and judgment upon us because we know better. Mm. That's, that's the hardest thing. At the end... He starts, listen, furthermore, since they did not think it's worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to the depraved mind to do that ought not to be done. He's like, you know what? That is part of the judgment that we're going to see that if you want this for your life, take it. Mm. But it's not good for you. But I cannot do anything more for you. Not cannot. I will not do anything more for you because if you want this go ahead and this is kind of going back to when we talked about the helmet of salvation we you are condemned and i'm we're giving you i'm giving you the way out of this condemnation but if you're going to reject my way my son and eternal who has eternal life in him you will be condemned because that's what you want so that, that is one of those things. Yeah. So the increasing in wickedness, the increasing in evil, we look around and we say, why would God allow so much evil? Why would he allow so much suffering? Well, we're the ones who have created all of this evil and all of the suffering. And part of God's wrath is that as his grace comes towards its fruition and the day of the Lord draws near, there'll be an increase in wickedness because God is handing us over to our sinful desires. So if we are not, and I, I am saying us because we're, I'm talking about our human nature. Um, not us as in the church. The church is being redeemed and we're being transformed. We're being made new. But I'm talking about humanity as a whole. Our collective humanity is being handed over to our sinful nature and to our sinful. And so we're going to become more and more depraved. We're going to become more and more entrenched in evil. And the world will become more wicked as the day of the Lord approaches. Because part of his wrath is the withdrawing of his presence. Mm-hmm. The withdrawing of mm-hmm. the Lord's presence brings righteousness the lord's presence brings conviction the lord's presence brings a sense of you know he's he becomes evident in his creation but the lord begins to withdraw from his hand from creation his face as we read earlier that he he turns his face away you know we we pray that the lord would let his face shine upon you but when the lord covers his face from it's symbolic that he he's giving us over to our own wickedness to the evil that we have chosen um, James chapter one. We have a lot of scriptures today, so I hope that's yeah. okay, and you guys can follow. Because uh, this is this again is not something that we talk about very often, but we we want to teach from the word and not just from um, our own opinions. Amen. There's a lot that the word has to say about this topic. 
So James chapter 1 says uh, in verse 19 and 20 says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Mm -hmm. And we share this verse because this is just to let us, you know, we read that vengeance is the Lord's. It does not, it's not part of the armor that we get to wear. The cloak of vengeance is something that God and God alone gets to wear. God is patient. God is loving. God is slow to anger. And he, he is not quick to bring about the, the um, judgment that we deserve. And so this warning is to us that we should be like the Lord is, where we're quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be ang- become angry. Why? Because our vengeance and our righteousness, we don't have the right measurement. What we deem as injustice is mm-hmm. self-centered. What we mm-hmm. deem as righteousness and holy is far from what his standard is. He has the true measuring stick. And so he, is, he alone can judge. He alone can be the one to bring about the, the repercussions for our sin because he alone has the right measurement. And it says here that man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So the other key that we know about God's wrath, one, it, wrath is not part of God's nature, but it's part of his long suffering. It's part of his justice that it's a reaction, that we've provoked God to the point of wrath. That it's not something that he desires, but it's something that he has to respond because we have pushed to that limit. Uh, But the other thing about God's wrath is that it brings about righteous life. The word says um, that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so right now, as we're under grace, we have the opportunity to confess and accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior willingly, voluntarily. That we choose under because we've heard the call of God and he's drawn us close and we've responded. But eventually, God's wrath will bring about that people will realize that he was, he is Lord. He is Savior. And so if you don't respond to his grace, he, his wrath will cause people to respond. Because they will see with their own eyes that he mm-hmm. came, comes as our, this rider on a white horse. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about the call, uh, Romans 2, 5, it says, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepented heart... You are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteousness, righteous judgment will be revealed. It's because, again, it's because of our hearts that this wrath is coming. So when we're like, well, God is love. Hmm. What, what's with this wrath thing? It's because of you. What's going on with you? Ephesians 2, 3 talks about this again. All of us. Also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That is who we naturally are. We're, we're, we're because of our flawed characteristics, the sinful nature that is in us, and the way we choose to put us in front before God, and the needs and the world itself. We are by nature be, be bringing this wrath onto us without the, the repentance and acceptance of Christ Jesus as, as our Savior. So the good news, I have to turn there. I ran out of, uh, we have so many scripture verses, I ran out of tabs. So give me a second, I have to turn there. Uh, normally we try to have them all marked ahead of time. But First Thessalonians 5.9 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says this, because it's not, it's not all bad news. <laughs> uh, I'm actually going to read verse 8. It says, Since we belong 
to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So again, this reference, just to, to draw the point, the point home that when Paul is writing about the armor of God and when we see here in Thessalonians, the armor of God is an illustration that's taken from Isaiah 59, that it's the armor of God that's the, this breastplate of righteousness, this helmet of salvation. Um, verse 9 says this, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the next point about God's wrath is that he has created a way for us to be saved, to be rescued from wrath. We Again, we think salvation, the helmet of salvation, like, oh, you know, at the judgment day, that I get eternal life through Christ Jesus. But what we're actually also promised to be spared from is from the wrath of God that's coming on this earth. Yeah. Um, that through our hope and salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we were not appointed to suffer this wrath. And now I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. We're not going to get into the rapture, pre, post, and all of that. We don't know the plan of God. I know that what we do know is the testimony of what happened with the Israelites in Scripture, right? That when God delivered them from, from Egypt during the Exodus, that there was they, they witnessed the place. They witnessed the hand of God, but they were spared. So I don't know exactly what that will look like when the day of the Lord's wrath comes. But I do know that he promises that we, in Christ Jesus... Praise God, we're not appointed to suffer that wrath, mm-hmm. that we will be spared if we put on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. Amen. And Romans 5.9 keeps on giving us this hope. Um, 5.9 says, since we have now been justified by his blood, mm. how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? And again, in John 3.36, it says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. So it's plain and simple to the the blue pill or the red pill. This is your choices. I love Moses in in Deuteronomy. Moses said, hey, these are the blessings. If you follow God's commands, these are your blessings. If you do not follow, these is your curses. He very much like here, you choose. And sadly, at the end, he said, I know what you're going to choose. Mm. Right? That, that's, that, that's the sad part. And we, the same thing with, with, with Christ here. Follow me or follow the world. And what do you want to do? And, and John 3.36 is very plain. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him. Because he does not have life. the Son uh, which we get eternal life from. Mm-hmm. So the, what are we supposed to do in light of this, in light of this knowledge, in light of God's cloak of vengeance? What is our role? Because again, we don't get to put on this cloak, but what are we supposed to do? This is where it's connected to the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And here's verse 18. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints. And then he says, pray also for me. And he goes on. So our connection, there is a, we're going to drive us home. The Lord, in light of the Lord's cloak of vengeance, which we know that he takes up and he puts on, what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to pray. So while we don't get to put on a cloak, we get to be active participants in God's taking up of this cloak of vengeance. And he, I, I believe this is why when Jesus teaches us to pray, he says, 
we, if you pray, this is Matthew chapter 6, um, verse 6. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so we go into this cloistered secret place, and we pray and we intercede. Um, and, and that's um, in that secret place where we find the presence of God. And Jesus also tells us, he says, this is also in Matthew, but this is chapter 5. He says in verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. So in light of the fact that we know that this, this portion of the armor of God exists and remains to be put on, that we have not seen God put on in fullness the cloak of his wrath, we are called to pray. We are called to pray for our enemies, pray for those who persecute us, pray for the saints, um, and this is our active way of participating in spiritual warfare. Yeah, talking about the put, putting on what's to come, in Revelation chapter 8, verse 3 to 5, it says, Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer. With the prayers of all saints mm. on the golden altar before the throne, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angels took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashing of lightning, and the earthquake. And it is just this vision of prayer of saints were part of this judgment and wrath onto the earth. So when we come together and pray in the spirit for all the saints, and we come together as saints, um, this is part of our, when revelation is happening, when it's, all this is happening, this is part of, we become part of this wrath. So there's this incredible picture. The crying out. That we have to realize that our prayers, um, James chapter 5, verse 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous man is powerful and effective. Mm. What we have to understand is that this story, this history, this, the, pro the prophetic nature of scripture has not yet been completed. And we are invited to be active participants in its fruition. So our prayers impact the coming of the Lord. Our prayers impact... The, the day of God's wrath, the, the weight of God's wrath. So if we're praying that God would, would delay his return in order that more would be saved, God hears that prayer. If we pray, come Lord Jesus, come because we're oppressed, he hears our prayers that the suffering and the wickedness of the world is too great. If we pray for the persecuted church and we ask that God would bring justice, he hears that. Like our prayers are shaping God's wrath and the, the day of his coming. It says that it's collected in these bowls like incense. And when it's full, when, it, when the cup of God's wrath has come to fullness, that's when the day of the Lord will come. And what it looks like, how it looks, who it's poured out on, the extent of it is shaped by, the, by you and I and by our prayers. And so while we are just standing firm with the armor of God, our prayers are actually building up to that point of spiritual warfare. The culmination of human history is being shaped by the, by the little prayers that we pray when we drive to work, before we go to bed, before our meals. And we, we have to be mindful that our prayers are powerful and effective and that God is counting those prayers at, on the weight of his judgment. Mm. And that's, that's an incredible picture um, that if that doesn't call you and drive you with an importance of, of prayer, then I don't know what will.
Yeah, uh, Peter talks about it in Second Peter chapter 3, and um, I want to start at 9. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's this slow anger, slow to anger. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? This is a call. You ought to live a holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. So yes, we pray for, for more time so more people will come. Yes, we know that the wrath is coming that will destroy this earth. But we still live that holy life. We still know that when God comes, it's still going to be so much better than anything else. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. In verse 15, I just want to add, this is in the same text. It says, bear in mind that the Lord's patience means salvation. Mm. And so if the Lord has delayed his return and he said he's coming soon and he's delayed his return for this long, it's because he's, he's patient, he's long-suffering, and he wants that none should perish but that all should have eternal life. And we want to finish with this. Revelation 22, verse 20 says this. Uh, John says this. He who testifies to these things, this is about Jesus says this. Yes, I am coming soon. And it finishes with amen, come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. And so I just think it's really poignant that in a book that just talks about the coming wrath of God and the day of judgment um, finishes with the grace of our Lord Jesus. And so we have to remember that, again, God is God is slow to anger. He is patient. He is loving. That is his nature. And so we pray that God would have grace and that he would have mercy on us. We want him to come and come soon. But we pray that his grace and his mercy would prevail. Yeah. And that's why he teaches us how to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And it's just a beautiful thing, and we're looking forward to that prayer. But man, come, Lord Jesus, come. So this is the end of our teaching on Armor of God, and we're excited. Our next teaching is going to be on the Lord's, Lord's Prayer. prayer. It's, it's kind of led us into this place and seeing what God's going to do for, for us through this powerful, powerful prayer that God really, that Jesus felt in his heart. This is, I want to guide you. There's many things that you should be doing as my followers, but this prayer, this is the prayer that I want you to pray and have in your mind because there's power. <laughs> there's definitely in, power. In light of how we see the power of prayer and as participants in God's unfolding plan for the for his creation um you know the disciples said lord teach us how to pray and this is the prayer that he taught and so we think there's no better way for us to learn that next level of spiritual warfare and of being partners with with god's plan and his sovereignty than to learn the lord's prayer so that's what we'll be doing next amen
Thank you for spending time with us during this episode. We pray that this teaching blessed you and brought you closer to understanding God. If you'd like to contact us, please email us at corechurch242 at gmail.com. Until next time, know you are loved and covered in prayer.